I was sitting there uh, trying to figure out um, how I could uh, address you before this last message. And I believe that I will just say I sincerely thank you from the depths of my heart for uh, your warm welcome. Uh, the opportunity that my wife and I have had to be here with you has been just what my Heavenly Father ordered. My wife and I needed to be here this weekend. We needed to be with you. And I'm so grateful that God loved me enough to give me an opportunity to stand before you and share his priceless message. I could have gone to heaven without ever coming to Delrada, but he loved me enough to allow me to meet you, to pray with you, to wrestle with you, to struggle with you. And for that, I will forever be grateful. I just hope and trust that you have been spiritually stimulated and reminded that we're not going to lose our families. We're not going to lose our wives, we're not going to lose our husbands, and we're not going to lose our children to the devil. We're going to do everything within our power to honor our Heavenly Father, spend an eternity with Him along with those that we love. To the sisters uh, who prepared that tremendous meal, I know that many of you have worked diligently uh, to lay out all that food and your TLC and, and all of those things that went into the meal today. We give thanks and praise for you. Many of our sisters stand outside the spotlight, and uh, many of you probably don't want you know, people to affirm you and all of that, and I, I can understand that, but I'm here to tell you that my waistline thanks you. And, uh, you know, when your waistline goes from a waistline to a wasteland, then that's the way it is. <laughs> and um, I, was, I should preach on gluttony this evening, but I guess we won't. Uh, but the food that you laid out and the care and the TLC, you don't do those things just for the sake of doing them. I've been watching you guys, and I sincerely believe that you love each other. I sincerely believe that you care for each other. It is so evident to me. And many times you have been blessed beyond measure and you don't even know it. And so I think that it's good that you do invite people from the outside that's not a part of your city, maybe not even a part of this community, to come and, and to share with you because this is a wonderful congregation. I know you're not perfect, but you serve a perfect God. And you have shepherds who love you and want to lead you to heaven. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. So I do want to publicly thank all of those sisters for everything that you did in the background to make this afternoon so special. So many of you have been praying fervently for this event on this day. And I'll just give you a little insight that the evil one has done everything within his power to make sure that me and my wife did not get here. For those of you who know anything about gout, you know that it can be a debilitating issue. In the last three weeks, I have had four major gout attacks where I couldn't even get out of bed. My wife, who very rarely, if ever, gets sick, has been sick for the last week and a half. Barely could even talk. And that's because the devil did not want us to be here this weekend. But guess what? He loses again when you put your trust and your confidence in God, he will deliver. 
I don't know which ones of you were praying, but I thank every one of you who were praying. Because the pain that we have gone through and the issues that we have gone through pale in comparison to this morning and this afternoon. And that's what it's all about. So Doug, we thank God for you for making that phone call. I could have said no, it would have been a dumb no, but I'm glad I didn't say no. I'm glad you called and I'm glad that you extended the invitation because God can bless us in all kinds of ways if we would but only surrender to his word and to his will. And so I sincerely thank you for allowing us to be here and to share with you as we have come to know and love Jesus and we uh, would just want to remind all of you who responded to the Lord's invitation this morning, I am going to be getting those names and we will be taking you to God's throne in prayer for the next 30 days. I think that's very, very important. The devil has been embarrassed again. And so it's going to be important that we remind our Heavenly Father of your commitment, your renewed commitment to him. And we look forward to storming heaven with your specific names and your specific concerns. Now, I met a future elder this afternoon. Uh, his name is Zig. Uh, Zig and I had a very substantive conversation that lasted about two minutes and 30 seconds. And I asked Zig, I said, so Zig, if I ask you to be a part of my message this afternoon, would you help me? He said, yeah, I'll help you. You know, so is Zig here? Come on, Zig. We don't have a lot of time. Come on up here. All right, my man. <laughs> Come on, Zig. We need you. You don't have to put his shoes on. We're home. This is home. Yeah, you know. Let him come on up here. Yeah. Now, as, as Zig is making his way up here, um, I'm speaking in a proleptic sense because I told you that this is going to be a future elder. Some of you probably snickered and some of you laughed and some of you grinned, but we don't know what God is going to do with him, do we? Do we? So maybe that's how we should salute some of our young men and some of our young ladies who are going to be married to elders and going to be married to preachers. Maybe we ought to start putting that on their hearts now. But the reason why I wanted Zig to stand with me was to not show how overpowering I appear to be with him. <laughs> but I want you to think for a moment and ask yourself, what would Zig's family give in exchange for him? If we were to bring $10 million on this stage, do you think his parents would give him up for $10 million? Do you? Some of you would say, not 10, six, you know. <laughs> not really. <laughs> I, I can assure you that there is nothing in the world that Zig's parents would not do to protect him and to preserve him and love him. Is that not true? And if I had your son and your daughter up here, it would be the same way. Now, several years from now, Zig is going to tell all of his friends, you know, I was standing on stage with this tall, dark, and handsome guy from Jacksonville, <laughs> and uh, I was part of his sermon. And they're going to say, oh, Zig, you're making that up, and Zig will be able to play the CD. See, I'm, I'm making a memory here with me and Zig. There is no telling 10 years from now what Zig is going to be doing. And maybe he'll come to Jacksonville and he'll look at me and say, hey, look, I'm, 
I'm now a doctor or I'm this or I'm that. I'm faithful to Jesus. And I just want to tell you that I still have that CD that you did when you came to Delrada. I wanted Zig to stand in front of us tonight because the question on the floor is, is your family for sale? Now, instinctively, we will say, of course my family's not for sale. Well, I hate to disappoint you, brothers and sisters, but many of us have already sold out and don't even know it. Zig, I appreciate you being a part of my sermon. Now, can I have that nice shirt? <laughs> no? <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you for coming up to stand with me, Zig. You're a cool guy. I appreciate that. You know, when children talk to you and smile at you, that's a great thing. And those of us who are over 6'5 know that we get labeled as being, you know, we're, we're, we're insensitive and we're not soft and, and all of that. Well, Zig just showed you. He stood right next to me. He didn't run. You know, he thought that that was pretty cool. But more importantly, many of our families have already sold out to the devil. One of the greatest robberies in the history of this country took place and not a shot was fired and not one person was hurt. But there were some disgruntled employees in the Northeast who worked for a huge department store. And they broke into that department store late at night. And they went in and they changed all of the price tags on everything in the department store. They took the price tags off of the full length, full length mink coats and put another tag on the full length mink coat to reflect $150. They took the price tags off of the presidential Rolex watches and sold them for $1,000. They went over to the Linux China and the Yadro and everything else, and they changed every tag to reflect a lower amount. And when the doors opened the next day, you would have thought that the New York Stock Exchange had moved in to that place of business. And before they realized what had occurred, they had lost millions of dollars. And they had to close the doors. You know what's happened to our families? We've taken the price tag on Ziggy, and you know what we've put on the, we, you know what we've hung around his neck? A fling or sexual immorality or a one night stand, and then it's over. We no longer look at the preciousness of a soul. We no, we no longer look at the integrity of a family. We no longer look at what it means to shake someone's hand and give someone your word. All of those things have gone by the board. Because the evil one has sold us a bill of goods. And many of our families have been sold down the river. I only have two points that I wanted to make to you tonight. And then we will extend heaven's invitation. I do remember that there was a time when being with your family was sacred. 
when you actually had everyone in your family sitting around the dinner table and they all talked. Y'all remember that? Now it seems like everybody's going in 10,000 different directions. Moms want their teenagers to come to the table and talk, and teenagers want to stick these things in their ears, and they want to go through the drive through Now, they want dad's car. But they don't want to sit at the table, and they don't want to talk about what's going on in their lives because we've just gotten so busy. And we have fathers who come home from the battlefield and, and you're, you're battle-tested and you're battle-worn and you're wore out and your wife asks you, how was your day? And we grunt at them. We don't answer the question, we just grunt. Now, I'm not talking about you guys, I'm talking about me. Because guys, I want you to know my wife meets me every day at the door and she kisses me. I get a kiss when I leave and I get a kiss when I come home. See, I, I'm telling you, I'm playing way over my head. I really am. I thank God that I married a woman who loves Jesus primarily. See, guys, that's why I'm telling you, that's what you should do. You should marry a woman who's in love with God, and she'll love you. But I think y'all know what I'm talking about. We've just gotten, we've gotten too busy for our own good. We've gotten these gadgets, and now you can get in a car, and everybody can be in a car, and they're all doing something different. We've got kids watching these movie things in the back seat and we've got the mother in the front seat who's not talking to her husband and her husband's not talking to his wife and they're all going on vacation. I, I, I continue to be amazed. And we don't think that our families are not for sale and I, I would beg to differ. The family that prays together stays together. I asked some couples in Christian counseling, are you praying with your wife? Glazed look in their eyes. You know, what do you mean praying with my wife? I said, just what I said. I'm not speaking Chinese. You heard what I said. Are you praying with your wife? Do you pray for your wife every day? Do you pray for your children every day? Do they know that you're praying for them? Well, of course not. It's all her problem. It's all her fault. See, it's always somebody else's problem. It's always someone else's fault. That's why it's just good to go to the cross and make sure that we stop pointing fingers and we find answers on our knees. It is unfortunate that we've also been deluded and duped into believing that quality time is much more important than quantity time. I told you this morning that on average, fathers in America spend 37 seconds a day with their children. How in the world is that supposed to be acceptable at any level or on any level? It's not. But unfortunately, many times we think that it is. What would you give in exchange for your family? I believe one of the main things that's going to see a lot of people in hell is going to be materialism and deception. Materialism and deception. Would you turn with me to the book of Joshua for a moment? Just want to refresh your memory on some things that occurred here in this text. In Joshua chapter 6, then you will remember this story, but you, you may not uh, have, 
you may not have been, been able to put an asterisk by the expectation that God had once the city was sacked. In Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse 15, the Bible says, Then on the seventh day they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom, whom we sent. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Now, even though that's what the Bible says, you already know who did not get the memo. You already know that there was someone, even though this was the mandate and the expectation from God, there was someone who actually thought that they were smarter than God. They actually thought that they would be able to get away because they saw something and they, they coveted what they saw and then they hid what they had. Chapter 7 at verse 1, the Bible says, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zab Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah took some of the things under the band. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been uh, willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say, since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the king, and it goes on and on and on and on. O oh Lord, what have you done? You got us out here. You didn't bless us, and you didn't help us, and you know what God told them. Get up and stop whining. You have sin in the camp. And you know that that sin led to the death of Achan, his wife, and their children. 
Now to this day, brothers and sisters, I do not know how this man was able to hide something in his tent and his wife didn't know about it. I don't get that. But whatever it was that drove him was so ungodly, it was so evil, that it actually led to the death of this man and his, and his family. And as I've thought about this passage of Scripture, I've often wondered what his children must have said to him as they were dragging them over to the area where they were about to be stoned to death. Daddy, what are they doing? Why are they doing this to us? Dad, what's going on? Well, you know, I don't know. What could he say? Those children were stoned to death because of the ungodly behavior of their father. And his wife was even killed. Their whole family was destroyed. Sometimes you and I read in this Bible, and I'm, I'm wondering if we really do grasp the drama that's there. These people really lived. He made a crucial decision because of materialism and because of deception. I've often asked myself, how in the world could he have slept? Knowing that all of these families were going to have to come before God and that the lot would be cast and that they would eventually find out who did it. And he thought that he could beat God, but he lost. I remember one night coming home in Nashville when I worked at Lipscomb. I had two briefcases. I really thought I was somebody. I came home on a Wednesday night. Two briefcases. Briefcases. And, and got up in my bed and had all of my papers around me, see, because I was working hard. And I chose not to go to the Wednesday night assembly. And my son came around the corner. And he did one of those Superman things, you know, boom, hit the bed, papers everywhere. And after the papers finally nestled back down to the bed, my son looked at me and he said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. I didn't sleep well that night. And at the first opportunity that I had to get back in the assembly, I literally ran down the aisle. You hear me? Y'all were a lot more dignified than me because most of y'all walked. I ran down the aisle. And I told God, and I told those brothers and sisters at that congregation what I had done. And from that day to this, we don't jump up in our bed on, uh, during the midweek because we have work to do the next day. We don't do that. Because I thought, ben, Bill, if your son ends up just like you, at some point down the road, he's going to make a decision for his job as opposed to Jesus. He's going to make a decision that says, oh, but I have to put food on my table, and oh, I have to do this, and oh, and God takes a back seat. God doesn't take a back seat to anybody, does he? Does he? See, in Jacksonville, we have some people that work on the first day of the week. Sunday morning and Sunday night. I'm not talking about the professional people, even though we, we, we do have a, a, a doctor, but she doesn't have to work on the first day of the week. 
And when the elders have talked to our members that work on the first day of the week, we have encouraged them to actually sit down with their bosses and look them in the eye and say, you will either let me go on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, but I will not miss the assembly all day because of this job. I'm the best employee you have, and that's why I will either be released Sunday morning or Sunday night. Oh, I can't do that because they might fire me. Well, if they fire you, then you don't need to be there. People need to be listening. And when you have those conversations, you know what those bosses say? Oh, that's fine. Because people don't take that approach. We have to be straightforward and we have to go in and tell them, don't we? Don't we? The sobering consequences of Joshua chapter 7 still ring in my mind and my heart. This man mortgaged his future and the future of his family because he tried to rob God. You know what really scares me, brothers and sisters? I'm probably not looking at a one-talent person in this assembly. And to whom much is given, much is expected. And many of you are two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight, nine-talent people. My question is, how are you using those talents to the glory and the honor of God? We cut corners only with God. We don't cut corners anywhere else. Sometimes on Sunday morning, I can go outside there in, at Arlington and I can see the scuff marks where women have had to drag their husbands in and, you know, prop him up in the seat, you know, so he won't fall over. And we ask with a heart of love and sincerity. We, we need people to head this ministry. We need this service. We need this service and we need this service. But most people want to do what they want to do. I'm glad I'm not talking about people here in Montgomery. I know y'all don't have problems like that here, but I'm, I'm talking about in Florida. People basically want to do what they want to do, even though there are needs that must be met. And God has given you the talent and the ability and the potential to meet that need. But many times we're holding back. We need to be all in, don't we? We need to be all in for God. Don't cut any corners. Once you go all in, man, it's no decisions to make after that. You don't have to get up on Sunday morning and wonder where you're supposed to be. You know where you're supposed to be. And when you see that a need must be met, you meet the need. Or you talk to the shepherds and say, I want something else to do. And then they'll fall right over in the floor, you know. What? Here's the second thing that I noticed that will cause many people to end up losing their families and losing the souls of members that make up their family. And that is, people have a close proximity to God without a relationship with God. It's like they come to the building more, but they enjoy it less. It's like they live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world and, and never shall the twain meet. And you ask them, are you saved? I hope so. The, the radiance and the vibrance in their lives is just not there. 
because they've not developed a meaningful relationship with Jesus. That's what I want more than anything for our young people. It's for them to so fall in love with Jesus because they've seen the fact that we are in love with Jesus. Then we know the church is going to grow. Will there be a Delrada Church of Christ 100 years from now? What do you think? When I was stationed in Turkey, I visited the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the one area that I visited that still resonates with me, and it's been more than 30 years ago now, was when I was walked around the city of Ephesus. And the tour guide just made a motion uh, over toward a very small structure. And he said, well, over in this area, baptisms used to occur. And as I stood there and as I thought about what had happened at the church in Ephesus, and I looked at that area that he was talking about, and you could see that they had uh, kind of excavated. It looked like a huge baptistry of some sort. But the thing that I still see in my own mind is the fact that it was full of sand. I just hope and pray 100 years from now, somebody will not come to this structure. And somebody just point in this general area and say, well, they used to baptize people here. And it's full of sand. If we're not careful, brothers and sisters, to love our children in such a way that they fall in love with Jesus and they love their families in such a way, the Del Rey, the Church of Christ will not be here 100 years from now. Somebody says, well, the Lord may come back. Well, then, you know, it's a moot point, isn't it? But if the Lord does tarry, don't you want people 100 years from now to be able to come in here and experience what you're experiencing? We talk about God, but we have no real substantive connection to God. We purportedly serve God without knowing him. We do the work of the church almost everywhere with the exception of working in our own homes. We seem to capitalize on religious processes as opposed to connecting with the personality of Jesus Christ. The church is as strong as its weakest member. Is that not correct? The church is as strong as its weakest member. I was doing some reading the other day about the USS Eisenhower. And even though I did not serve in the Navy, it was probably one of the most impressive things that I found about the, one of the uh, aircraft carriers. But the USS Eisenhower, from keel to mast, is 22 stories high. It weighs 95,000 tons. When you go out on the flight deck, it's four and a half acres 
on the flight deck. But that was not what impressed me. What impressed me were the anchors on the USS Eisenhower. They have two of them, and they both weigh 65,000 pounds each. And that chain on each one of those anchors stretches 1,082 feet. And each link on that chain weighs 365 pounds. You know why most families are drifting today? Because they don't have an anchor. When I was talking to Brother Hatcher this morning, and I looked at your program, and noticed that all of those Hatchers who were welcoming people into this assembly today all had the same last name. That's how you do it. That's how you make sure that a hundred years from now there will be a Hatcher who says, Jesus is Lord. And it does matter where you go to church and it does matter what you believe. That's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. And I'm so grateful this afternoon that there are anchors like Doug and this brother and that brother, and this one, and y'all looking at the chocolate thunder one. Because if I don't serve as an anchor for my family, they're going to be adrift. I don't want my wife drifting. You hear me? A couple of years ago, I told my wife, I don't believe I'm telling y'all this, but I, I may as well be candidly open with you. I told my wife, I said, girl, if you ever leave me, I will unclothe myself and I'll run up and down the street screaming. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, you know, I, I think you would. <laughs> I said, don't you ever find out. Okay. So then I've changed that. Now I've said, if you ever say that you're going to leave me, then I'll ask you to wait and let me go get my suitcase so I can go with you. Now, I think that sounds a little better, don't you? Kind of easier on the mind when you think about me just going to get my suitcase rather than this blob of, you know, trying to, you know, run up and down the street. Every family needs an anchor. Brothers, I thank God that you are serving as an anchor for your wife and your children because that's what they deserve. Sisters, if you have an anchor, he's a Christian man, you ought to thank God every day for him. You ought to thank God every day that he comes to you, he comes home every day, he's being faithful to you, and he wants to see you grow spiritually. You ought to thank God for that, man. And you ought to encourage him. My heart is not broken tonight, and I'm not overly discouraged about the state of the family in America. But I am upset about the state of the leaders in this country. I'm very concerned about our president. Any man who does not know when a child is born or when a child is conceived, he's too smart for his own good. And when we were out in, California, in uh, Arizona, I asked those good people out there if they prayed for their president. Now, this is the only time, I don't believe I'm telling y'all this, 
This has been the only, that was the only time in my Christian life that I can actually tell you that I wondered if I could get out the door and get my wife out the door. You don't know how serious I am about that. Those people asked me to come all the way out there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I asked them, are you practicing the, the mandates from the pastoral epistles to pray for your leaders? And they had the audacity to say, we're not praying for no president. I said, well, good, go tell Paul that. What, you think you're too good to pray for the president? If anybody needs to get a prayer through, it ought to be us. They need to be prayed for. I don't care which side of the aisle you're from, and I don't care what color your state is. Everybody in Washington needs to be prayed for. Every one of them. I didn't expect you to say amen to that. I brought my own. That man has two daughters who will spend an eternity somewhere. And if I get 15 minutes, I'll tell it. I mean that. I'm as serious as I've ever been. Now, he's always checking email, and he's always doing this, and he's always doing that. Maybe he'll eventually get to mine. I know he has a spiritual advisor, but he needs a gospel preacher to talk to him. That's what he needs. And he needs to know it does make a difference what you believe. I'd love to only have 15 minutes. And just look at him, sir. Why is it so difficult for you not to understand what Psalm 139 teaches? Haven't you read it? You've read everything else. Somebody needs to get the truth to that man. So y'all do me a favor. Just pray that God would give me 15 minutes if you don't want to talk to him. I'll be more than happy to talk to him. We have trouble in Washington, brothers and sisters, and it's not about what political persuasion you're from. There is corruption. There is lack of integrity. There's all kinds of things going on there. That's why all of them need God. And that's why all of them should be prayed for. See, I listen very carefully when I go to different congregations and I hear how people pray. I hear what they say and I hear what we don't say. But I'm just telling you tonight that if you want our president and anybody else that's on Capitol Hill to change, we need to pray for them. Or you pray for somebody like me that God would give me 15 minutes. Maybe I could get to him through his wife. She seems to be reasonable on some levels. But our country's going to hell on a green slide, y'all. We've lost respect for God Almighty. And he's not going to put up with that too much longer. So we need to be people of prayer. We need to be people who share our faith. We need to be people who love the Lord. Now, is your family for sale tonight? There are people who will spend more time in front of their television than they will their families in talking about what direction their family is going in. There are people tonight that don't even have a mission statement for their families. And somebody says, well, what are you trying to do, bring business in the church? I'm not trying to bring business in the church. You're still on this side of eternity for a reason. God is still allowing you to live for a reason. He's allowing you to breathe this air that you're breathing for a reason. Well, what's that reason? You need to know what that reason is for you and your family. What are you doing as a family? 
What are, what are your goals and what are your objectives? What is it that you want to do on behalf of Christ as a family, as your family? And how are you going to connect those goals with what happens here at Delrada? How are you going to do that? I would encourage you to have meetings with your elders. If you don't already do that, they need to know that you're all in. Here's the last thing I'll mention and I'm through. Did y'all know that people will probably lose their souls because they don't give appropriately? Did y'all know that? Did you know that you can lose your soul because of covetousness? Did you know that? And did you know that if you don't use your talents and your abilities to God's honor and glory, you're going to end up just like that person in Matthew 25? Jesus is expecting a return on his investment, brothers and sisters. He is. After I got off the phone with Doug last year, I asked God then, Father, would you just please help me if you see fit for me to get to Montgomery? Would you just give me the words? Would you give me the opportunity to say whatever I need to say to glorify your name? Would you just do that? Well, I'll be able to sleep tonight. Because I will have a clear conscience that I have shared with you from my heart and from God's word. And if I never see you again on this side of eternity, this visit has been worth it. You guys will never know what y'all have done for me. And my wife and I will talk about y'all all the way home. We will. Or all the way to Pensacola and then home, Lord willing. Our families are for sale, and they're for sale to the lowest bidder. Because that's what the devil wants. The devil would like nothing more than to see me and my wife break up. You hear me? It's what he'd like. The devil would like nothing more than to split this church. See, one of y'all go this way, and one of y'all go that way. Did y'all know that a church can be split and still meet? You can have the East Side Church of Christ and the West Side Church of Christ in the same building. I know y'all may find that hard to believe, but that does happen. Folk don't even get along with each other. And they end up eating and drinking damnation to their own souls. May God help us. Brothers and sisters, all I'm saying to you is I'm partnering with you in fortifying our families on this day. Don't you sell out to anybody or anything. Don't you let anything or anyone come into your house to attack your children or your mate or your grandchildren or the people you love. You need to fight with every fiber of your being. And if there's any way that I can help you, shoot me an email note. If there's something that you want me and my wife to pray about, let me know and we'll pray about it. We're still on the same team just because we live in different cities doesn't mean that we can't pull for each other. Amen? Well, I'm so impressed with Del Rader. This is wonderful. I, I hope you guys just realize how blessed you really are to be here. I know many of you are. But sometimes, you know, we can become complacent and you can just forget how good you have it. Y'all are blessed. You really are. I thank God, again, for the opportunity to have been here and to have labored with you on this day. In Jesus' name. If there is any way that we can encourage you this evening to draw closer to the master, we would encourage you to do that today. It's the Lord's day all day. 
And some of you have still probably been wrestling with, well, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good, Brother Davis. Well, when you study the book of Philippians and you read chapter 1, it's important for us to understand what is the difference between good, better, and best. And you can only do that through spiritual discernment. And we want to do what's best. Is that not correct? We want to do what's best. So if God's word has been laying heavy on your heart that you're doing okay, but you can do better, then you need to ask God to forgive you so that you can do better. And you can join the rest of us who have repented and have already asked God to strengthen us in our relationship with him. I'm so grateful that the song leader remembered what our invitation song would be. And the older you guys get, you will look back and you'll say, now I see why Brother Davis uses that song as a song of invitation. It's the best one I can find in the book. Because it gives me an opportunity every time I sing it to remind Jesus that I've decided to follow him and there is no going back. If you love the Lord, and if there's any way that we can encourage you in your walk with the Master, we would invite you to respond to his invitation while together we stand and sing.